The best protected nature in New England is two hours north of Boston. The highway to Plum Island passes an alfalfa farm, a big box furniture store, lakes, backyards. It doesn't farm plums and isn't an island. It's a reserve of coastline, dunes, and wetlands, which are the fastest disappearing ecosystem because of their inutility to human construction. When I drove there with my friends, Larry and David, I sat in the middle of the back seat. I picked off bites of my blueberry donut and ate them or handed them to Larry in the driver's seat as he navigated us through the choppy rows of familiar shabbily-sided duplexes. Larry was a little large for his Prius. His knees stacked between him and the steering wheel, and his tattooed arms, both hands on the wheel, were folded close to his body. Larry turned onto the parkway. David suggested we open the windows, and I let the blue sky in the back seat. The trees were bare, their leaves littering. Hmm. Rocks gushed next to the highway, climbed above it, and were reduced to concrete. All right, I got this. David set the style. He was wearing cargo pants with extra pockets and a corded waistband, a tight shirt, and an oversized Carhartt hoodie. He played some American football, and I moved over to one side to look out the window. Alongside the highway stretched a short gray barrier. On the other side, a thin row of trees feigned a forest. We passed lakes, and there was one I'd skated on before when it was frozen. And I was in college, and there was one pair of skates for six of us to share. Landscape was a hodgepodge of concrete and dark, dark brick relics of the 70s. Brick public works and small white churches from the 1880s sat side by side. Churches and private homes. Churches, churches, churches. We passed by a two-story church, white, with a stained glass circle over the acorn-shaped doors and big arched windows on either side. It had a plaque, too, that I couldn't catch as we drove by. We parked by a highway overpass and entered the tangle of streets. Tree roots broke up the sidewalks, and I stood on their knots a moment, and then we followed a natural slant towards the water. We passed people's garden statues, barbecue pits, and trellises. Someone's house was stripped down to plywood. I looked through a gap and saw support beams and planks. They passed a local artist collective shop. David wanted to check it out, so did Larry, so I did too. Inside, crafts from all over New England, refurbished furniture, hand-woven doilies and curtains, spoons and forks, and then stranger items, mirrors made of mosaics, mobiles made from cutlery, driftwood carved into mermaids, merchandise. I struck up a conversation with the shopkeeper. The man, well-groomed, gray-haired, vest and plaid shirt, he told me about his photography, the dark room he had built in the back of his van, the chemical mixture he used for long exposure shots, and the changes to his artistic practice that came when he slowed down. He said he'd gotten tired of digital work, and when it's instantaneous, he ended up with too much material. Now a good day was when he came back with five of these. He shot onto square ceramic pieces the size and thickness of coasters, half the side of a house, a chimney in the moon, and a line of covered boats. And then he showed us something. The machine was a pair of lenses set in a piece of wood with a wooden track and handle that moved two images side by side, closer and further from the lenses. My eyes blurred and adjusted themselves. 
A stout young boy came into view with a flannel shirt and overalls. He stood in a flock of sheep by a craggly stone wall. Two sets of stone steps built into the hillside led to a small house. It was in black and white and three-dimensional. Cool, I said. Yeah. The man asked Larry and David what they do now. I don't do much shooting anymore. I've been more into collaging and mosaics. And for work, I do remote so I can move around and travel. Oh, I'm, I'm doing UX design, user experience, to make educational materials for classrooms. The man said, fancy that, fancy that. It's way more straightforward than it sounds, and I get to kind of combine arts and sciences. The man turned to me and asked me what it was that I did. Oh, I'm still in school. They graduated before me and came back to see me. After school, what I do is about anyone's guess. We thanked the man, and he gave us his business card. We walked along and passed another ghostly site, for me at least. It was Olive's Coffee and Bakehouse, the sister store of the coffee shop I'd worked at one winter in our college town. The couple who owned them, Deborah and John, had first owned a flower shop. Then, after they got married, Deborah wanted a coffee shop. Later in life, they moved up the coast. They made this coffee shop to retire with. Brucie and I ordered and sat on bar stools. I started telling him about my uncle, who would tell all of my cousins and I stories when we stayed for a week in Ocean City, New Jersey. My uncle would continue one tale the entire week, adding a piece each night that always ended on a cliffhanger. His stories always starred my cousins and I. They often solved crimes or sometimes committed them. He spanned all genres. Dragons would attack, aliens invaded, characters were kidnapped or held hostage or turned into zombies, and each had a turn saving the others or putting them all in peril. We got our drinks, so we went in back where we found a plastic container of Jenga. Bruce and I built a tower that I said looked like a church, and David said it looked like a sniper's nest. David and Bruce put the game away, putting too much attention to how to fit all the pieces in flatly and perfectly. They didn't fit, so they kept rearranging them. That works. That is not right. Bruce, come on, you know that is not right. They arranged them some more. Then we left to forge deeper into the downtown along brick buildings and sidewalks. The sun glared off steam that came out of a pipe built into a rooftop. The old bank had a plaque for town members who left to join the Union Army at Abraham Lincoln's call. The stores had signs from the businesses that came before them. We turned down a little side street to look at an old sign for the Mermaid Inn and found a trading company still in business. Inside, a woman with long gray hair was on the phone. She hung up hurriedly. She said that it, she was talking to her sister-in-law, who wasn't feeling well, and it wouldn't have made good conversation for us to hear. She started way oversharing. She said that her sister-in-law had cancer that she's fighting, that she tries to take as little medication as possible, because really, who knows? And the thing about autism that everybody thought it was vaccines. Then it turned out, according to her, that it was just an acetophetamine, an aspirin, everywhere. I didn't really know what to say, and the store fell kind of silent. So we ended up just 
walking around, looking at her wares, crystals, earrings, hand-stitched leather wallets, fossilized shark teeth. Larry asked about one of the fossilized shark teeth, and the woman said it was from Malaysia. He asked how she sourced everything, and she said she'd been doing this a long time, and that she'd started in Tucson, Arizona? Tucson, Arizona, where she was from, and that's how she got into the crystals and the leather. That section over there, she pointed to, all from Mexico. Entirely authentic. No crap. I bought a figurine from Mexico, a woman made of wire and duct tape holding her arms in a circle. She had a long red and black skirt with white skulls on it and red flowers in her hair. We left and I closed the door behind us. Out on the streets, stores and restaurants jostled for our attention. The day had dried out. It was clear blue and the moon was big in the sky. Back in the back seat, I saw it hanging between a chimney and a trellis. It looked like a photo that men would have taken onto a ceramic plate. We drove by a boardwalk and saw folks walking together in the wind, blowing them back and rustling their clothing. David talked about when he visited here with his girlfriend, who lived on Palm Island for a time in a house by herself when she was dealing and doing a lot of drugs. He was proud of her for a battle with addiction. Not many people have overcome something real like that, he said. Yeah, I remember the days. Sparse houses stood on stilts in case of flooding and had large pipes hanging out their bottoms for runoff. Fields of tall gold plants shifted into each other, bowing backwards. The cars inside smelled like salt and sulfur. Then way off ahead, I spotted a pink blur. I slowed down when we passed out front of the house its top was a single room with a window looking to each side and a brick chimney running down it to the second floor, a square box below. Below that, the house had a wraparound porch around half of it. From where we sat, it looked like stairs. You know that staircase? The one you can't tell where the top is? It's, it's an optical illusion, a staircase that keeps going up. Do you guys see it? That is the revenge house. I told the story of the revenge house like this. There was a couple, the Cutters. They got married and the husband was no good. He would leave for days without telling his wife, probably to have an affair with a woman in Boston. The two of them had a kid though, and then the husband's mother was determined that they would stay together. She offered to buy them a house because they had been moving from place to place on the island and couldn't settle down. Finally though, the wife had enough. She demanded a divorce and half of his assets. Out of spite, he built her the house she'd always wanted in the middle of the wetlands, where it couldn't get fresh water and couldn't be lived in. The house was a replica of her childhood home, down to its pink color. We edged back onto the dirt road and kept moving, looking between the rearview mirror and the three-story pink house. We drove on into the marsh. A gravel road went up, went down, our tires spat rocks out to the sides, and I bounced around in the back seat. Larry asked how we'd met. I couldn't remember and guessed, maybe after winter break? This played when you were packing up your freshman dorm room, your suitcase was the size of the floor, 
A guard house sat empty at the entrance to the reserve. Larry asked if he should stop, and David said to keep going. Fir trees with branches all the way down blocked the sea from view, and on the other side, more marsh. Larry said he could tell we were near the beach because the sky was opening up and the clouds were taller. We passed a pull-off, and he parked us there, facing trees and a wooden walkway into them. It twisted, cut back, and stretched into dunes. They looked like frozen waves, and I wondered how they were made. In the valleys, stubby green and gold grasses looked half-buried, shrubs tangled like anemones, bunches of thin stalks rippled like seaweed, beached wood was smooth and shaped as if by the waves. Larry liked to talk about convergent evolution, how things far apart evolved to the same patterns. I stood with Bruce, our backs against the wooden handrails, feet forwards, leaning back. The wind rustled our pants and our footsteps sounded on the wood. The bridge ended and we stepped onto wet sand. The coastline was clear. I looked at the Atlantic. Bruce looked for shells. Larry appeared with a log under his arm. Guys, do you think I can take this with me? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just funny. We didn't know where you went. Oh, sorry. I just found this. Yeah, you could probably take that. We walked on the beach with our eyes to the ground and scanning for treasures. The sea was the color of the sky darkened. Its peaks blew sideways. They bounced in each other, came together, formed a curve, crashed ashore. A lone tire stood up in the sand. We gathered around it and guessed at where it came from. David said, I think aliens dropped it. Larry thought, I think it came from the sea. A sea creature threw it out of the ocean in protest of pollution. And I guessed it escaped from a truck bed, transporting tires from Boston, rolled off the highway, bounced through the marsh, packed the pink house over the wooden bridge and onto the beach. Because that's how we got here, after all. <laughs>